Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> Welcome back to the Girl in the Gap podcast. Big week. Big primary week. We'll be running through it yeah, all. it's a spicy one. Spicy. I am going to vote today. Well, I'm going to drop off my ballot. I I was voting all, all morning in my sweats, which is just the beauty of mail-in voting. So I'll change once I go drop off my ballot, though. I mean, well, you know, voting day outfits... They can go so many different ways. And speaking of, I never got my absentee ballot. So not to spark Mm -hmm. fear, but I will now be voting in person for the first of two New York primaries. LOL. Like, (laughs) make it more confusing. Make it more confusing. Anyways, so what this means, though, is I get two outfits for Mm -hmm. primaries and one outfit for general. And you know what? That personally really just gets me at my core so i'm i'm gonna be okay but i'm happy about it yeah it's kind of like three voting outfits in one year three voting outfits like three stickers (sighs) it's like sam they should make the stickers sparkly my sticker is not cute let me say it's just red oh that's vile no offense i know san francisco elections be better be better also you know what you know i don't like that as well is because it's all red which means it almost feels partisan Mm. you know what i mean like don't get me wrong i'd honestly i'd feel the same way if it were blue like i feel like if you're gonna yeah you gotta do a a one color then do something maybe make it purple you know make it look like it's a combination or just do multiple colors yeah the fact that it's just like this boring red color I, we could yeah, easily could design so something better. better on Canva in three seconds. So yeah. if you work for the sticker department, as it relates to, which <laughs> is just the Board of Elections. The Department of Elections in the city and Thank county you. of San Francisco, then hit us up and we will happily make you a Canva voting sticker. A they thousand percent. Be and they are, our designs have been existing ma'am <laughs> have been a success because so many governors today have been posting that they're voting and they are mm-hmm. wearing our merch which we designed yep. so if that's not a big testament yeah to that I don't if know. you are hitting the polls today and you see girl in the gov merch like that's just that's your answer right there that's that's the because answer when in doubt vote them out when in doubt vote them the out i will say i filled up my well technically my six page ballot today six pages three front back and also let's not forget the fact that these ballots are not just like you know printer page size like they're double 
I think double the size of a printer page. So it's a lot of work and I worry about people who, my roommate for example, who I know has not filled out her ballot yet, but I will not stop pounding her obviously today. She's Duh. going to fill it out. But people like her, she looks at that three, six page ballot and she's like, really? Really? And then you read some of these like measures and propositions and you're like, what does this mean? So like, it's so confusing. So that's why people need to listen to Girl on the Cuff, basically. That's what I'm saying. Our own ad on our own show. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> this ad but has been approved by Girl on the Cuff. By us. <laughs> if you guys have voting questions, be it, obviously, if you're voting this week, it'll be too late. But obviously, general is coming up. But there's still primaries to come in the weeks and months so if you guys have voting questions please slide into our dms we have a bunch of good like voter resources where you can learn about your ballot compare candidates and and more you know what that just reminded me what that's not the phrase reminded me of i'm just like missing words every (laughs) (laughs) classic but we do have a new page on our website and it is freaking great because we're always telling you guys register to vote, check your registration, make sure you send links to friends. And we have so many amazing partner organizations out there, but sometimes it makes it tricky, you know, sending you guys to 15 million different websites, trying to consolidate at least some of it. So thanks to Rock the Vote, we were able to integrate some of those features and forms, aka four lucky forms have made it to our vote section of the website. Check your registration, register to vote, request an absentee ballot and pledge to vote those have been added and credit to maddie because we know i am not technologically (laughs) savage 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 savvy (laughs) honestly i kind of like it i am a tech savage apparently (laughs) but no yes it definitely go check it out girlonthegovcom slash vote and if you guys you should i should put this on your Instagram bios, post it on yes. your story and link it. Again, girlinthegov.com slash vote. Again, those four actions are all in one place. So go check it out. And then we're also going in the works is a pledge to vote campaign with Girl on the Gov that we are working on getting the creative juices flowing of how we want to do that. But again, we have that pledge to vote portal now on our website. So go on there and pledge to vote with us and then you know we'll figure out a way to make sure all of your friends get on there and pledge to vote as well but that's in the works so stay tuned but we have an amazing episode I love this interview so much Mm -hmm. and I learned so much like we talked to an attorney general today and while you hear attorney general so much in the news, like to have it really broken down of like what they do and the power they hold was wild and mind blowing and makes you realize, especially right now in election season, how important a lot of these races are from secretary of state to attorney generals, the ones that are, you know, still big races, but like, you know, you sometimes don't fully understand the scope of what they do and how important their role is and how important like getting a good candidate in there is. And I feel like this interview helps highlight that of like holy shit attorney generals are the shit and they have one especially this one and they have so much power to really just make change and prevent really shitty things from happening honestly so tune in let's should we introduce her i feel like we should just get into it 
We should. And this interview, this long-awaited interview, is with Attorney General Dana Nessel. She is the Attorney General for Michigan. She is running for re-election this year, this 2022 election year. So our conversation, of course, taps on that a little bit, but it really focuses on what her role is as an attorney general, what that looks like across the country, because there's a lot of differences per state, Mm -hmm. how they are elected or selected, all of that jazz. So without further ado, here is Attorney General Nessel. Well, welcome to the show. We are so excited to chat with you. You are the Attorney General for Michigan, which is a state that has really been getting a lot of news recently, especially the last, I would say, year or so, especially around all things Attorney General. Can you give us the lay of the land as to what that role entails? What's the day-to-day of like an Attorney General? Walk us through that. Well, normally what an Attorney General does is, uh, you know, you're the top lawyer for the state, the top law enforcement official for the state, and the chief consumer advocate for the state. But really what you do is you represent government agencies. So if the state of Michigan gets sued, we handle that lawsuit. If any of our agencies get sued, we handle those lawsuits. We provide advice to them. I represent the secretary of state and the governor. And so we represent the state of Michigan, but also I represent the people of the state of Michigan. So we bring cases proactively. I uh, have criminal jurisdiction over all 83 counties of our state. And so I can bring a criminal case any place I can bring a case on behalf of consumers, consumer protection cases, environmental cases, anything that is really in the best interest of the people of Michigan. I have the ability to intervene in cases and I have the ability to actually bring a complaint. So it's very broad authority from a civil perspective, from a criminal perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, that just leads us right into our I have a stupid question segment because we want to get more information on this role. And really, our first question is really about how you guys get elected. Are attorney generals elected? And is it different per state? Can you kind of run us through that process? Sure. I mean, in most states, and I will say like we have, there are 30 AG races that are up this year in 2022. You know, it's uh, an election. It's an independent office from the governor and the secretary of state in most states, not all. There are some states, just a few, where the attorney general is actually appointed. So for instance, the New Jersey and Hawaii attorneys general, they are appointed by their governors. In Maine, it's uh, an appointment by the legislature. But the vast majority of states, it's uh, it's an independently elected office holder. So you're not really, you represent the governor, but you're not beholden to the governor. And generally that's that's how it works in almost every state. Got it. And speaking of the governor, how does the AG typically work with the governor? Well, uh, the AG represents the governor, but it doesn't mean that you always agree. And, you know, in our state for many, many years, we had an attorney general and a governor of different parties. But it's still your job to represent the governor and represent the governor's many agencies and all the state commissions and, you know, to be the their official attorney. Now, I think it gets complicated in times when you have different parties involved. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is my governor. And fortunately for me uh, and her, we are philosophically aligned on the vast, vast majority of issues. So I'm, I'm proud to represent her. Yeah. And along those similar lines, like how does the attorney general work with state legislatures? 
Well, you know, it, it varies from state to state, but for the most part, I mean, my job is to enforce the law and not make the law. But what I do is this, uh, I work with the legislature all the time when I find places where we need laws, where we don't have them, or when we have laws that need to be amended and they just don't work properly. So I am constantly drafting my own legislation that I then try to find a friendly legislator, a state rep or state senator to sponsor it. And then I, I have testified before the state legislature countless times trying to encourage them to pass a certain law or some cases not to, depending on what the law is. And I, I think I've testified before the legislature probably more times than any previous attorney general has, oh, wow. but I have a lot of strong opinions on a lot of laws and um, just trying to make sure we have the best laws in place possible. We totally. love that. And yeah. speaking of that experience, what is that like to testify in front of all of those people? Were there any like takeaways that you've had over the times that you've done it or a sort of key key things that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened while I testified? Well, honestly, sometimes I'm astounded by the lack of knowledge of some of our, our you know, state reps and senators. And in Michigan, totally. you know, we have the most draconian term limits of any state in the country. So we have people who aren't around very long. And so many of them just are not very knowledgeable. And I mean, I remember being called to testify before the state Senate once, uh, a particular subcommittee. And it was clear to me that, I mean, I don't even know if they watched Law and Order. I, I, pre I prepared for it the way that I usually prepared for, you know, a, a, a murder trial because I'm, an, you know, an old yeah. prosecutor and defense attorney and a civil rights attorney. And so I've been to court millions of times, not right. literally millions, but many, many, <laughs> many, many times. And you know, I, I prepared for it like, oh my gosh, they're going to ask me some really tough questions. When I got in there, I was just sort of astounded. I was like, well, there's a person called the defendant and they sit at this table and then there's a jury. It's 12 people who are from the community. I mean, I was just sort of shocked by it. So what happens to me a lot is sometimes I'll have Republican legislators that are just trying to get zingers on me, but they... They've sort of left me alone as of late, I think, because it doesn't always go well for them because I, I try to be as prepared as possible. So it's just rare that I, I'm not a subject matter expert on whatever it is I'm testifying about. Yeah, I feel like there's always across the board at levels of government, there's always some good like political bloopers that like when people testify in front of, you know, a state legislature or Congress or something like I'm just thinking of Blumenthal and the um, Finsta moment. <laughs> too. Yeah, there's just some there's, classic, like, did you prepare for this, you know, just type of questions? Well, there are, I, I think that what happens sometimes is that someone, you know, some lobbyist or staffer will write yeah. questions for legislators and, but they don't really know anything about that legislation. So then when you, when you answer it, they don't have a good comeback. They, right. they can't really do, there's no witty repartee going on because they just ask the question and then when you answer it they're like all right i don't really have a comeback to that Classic. i don't understand this bill yeah totally well for another question too is there any do attorney generals from like state to state ever like work in tandem with each other can you kind of explain if there's any dynamics there at play as well all the time all the time so i used to be that i would say that attorneys general were probably the most collegial group out of, you know, governors or secretaries of state or, or whatnot. They work together constantly because we're 
constantly looking at federal investigations into, you know, different companies, bad actors, all sorts of things. And of course, a lot of times you'll have a company that's not behaving appropriately, not following the law. And it's not just in one state, it might be a company that operates in all 50 states. And so it's very, very common for AGs to work together with, you know, opposite sides of the aisle as well in terms of these really important investigations and multi-state litigation. So for instance, if I could point you to the opioid litigation, cases against, you know, some major opioid manufacturers and distributors, I'm sure you've heard of Purdue Pharma. I mean, you'll have cases that are filed by almost every AG in the nation sometimes. Yeah. However, things became a little different after Barack Obama was elected president. And what happened is the uh, Republican AGs started to team up and file lawsuit after lawsuit against President Obama uh, on a number of his policies. And then after Donald Trump became president, the Democratic attorneys general did the same thing. And so for instance, you might remember this latest challenge to the Affordable Care Act. It was the Republican attorneys general that brought the case and it was the Democratic attorneys general that defended it. And so the Trump administration refused to defend the ACA. So it was states like mine, Democratic AGs that actually defended it. So it was Republican AGs against Democratic AGs. Fortunately, the Democrats won and the ACA remains the law of the land. And as a result, hundreds of millions of people continue to have health insurance who otherwise would not. Yeah, wow, that's so interesting. Definitely yeah. well, works together. To walk it back for a hot sec, I know you mentioned term limits before. Do attorney generals have term limits? Some states, yes. Some states, no. In Michigan, we do have term limits. So I am limited to two four-year terms, so eight years total. But there are states like Tom Miller is the attorney general of Iowa. He's been there for 40 years. Oh, my gosh. Four zero, longer than you guys have been. You know, it's a, it, it varies depending on what state you live in. That is wild. Wow. Okay. Iowa, we need to talk is all I can really say to that. But flipping it back to Michigan and your particular race, what is the general temperature of the room there for the race for Michigan in general when it comes to the midterm elections right now? I'd, it's, I'd say the temperature is crazy. Is that a temperature? Is that it is now. <laughs> uh, it is a strange time to be an American, but it's a very, very strange time to be a Michigander. And I've lived in this state my entire life and I love it, but it's very unusual. And what we've seen, of course, is that there's not really a Democratic and a Republican Party anymore. There's a Democratic Party and then there's the party of Trump. We used to have, you know, philosophical differences about the size of government, the scope of government, what our taxes ought to be. And now it's just the it's truth. And then there's bizarro land is really what I would say. And it's really unfortunate because it's not good for our state, it's not good for the country. But these midterm elections are incredibly high stakes elections, perhaps more so than any we've ever had in the history of the nation. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, and it sounds overly dramatic, but it's, it's not when you think about what's happening. And that's that, for instance, I'm running against an election denier, right? Someone who thinks that Trump really won in Michigan and who believes that the election should not have been certified and who he himself tried to file lawsuits to decertify the Michigan election and supported others who did the same. He's running now to have my job. 
Yeah. Same thing with the Secretary of State candidate. We have a, a woman who's, you know, a QAnon supporting individual who believes that, you know, the election wasn't properly decided in 2020, and she's running to be the chief elections officer. So why that's important is because if you don't have people who are intent on firstly following the law, but then secondly, not picking and choosing winning winners or losers, but just doing their job. You know, my job is not to skew the election. My job is not to decide who I want to win and then put the full force of my office behind them. It's merely to defend the will of the voters uh, and to ensure that who they select becomes the person who gets our 15 electoral votes in 2024. Right. My opponent has vowed to, you know, as Donald Trump said about my opponent, if my opponent wins, then Trump will never lose Michigan again. Because, you know, when you have the attorney general and you have the secretary of state, um, it's going to be really hard to make sure that the person who got the most votes won. If you have somebody who's determined to make sure that one individual is the, in, is the person who you're really yeah. representing and not the people of the state of Michigan. Totally. It's so scary. And like, just also speaking of what's at stake this year, specifically in these midterms, reproductive rights. We also kind of want to like understand too, kind of what your role as attorney general has in ensuring, you know, these rights are protected in, in Michigan, but even, you know, across the country, what specifically does your role do to protect reproductive rights and especially when they're being attacked currently? So with the Dobbs opinion imminent, and we know what that opinion is going to say now because of the leak, what it means is that there will no longer be federal protection for reproductive rights and it will go back to the states. Well, in my state, we have a 1931 law that makes abortion a felony, makes it a four-year offense. Mm -hmm. And so it's a crime for a doctor or anyone who assists him or her in performing an abortion. And it, it makes it a crime for the woman herself in the event that she, say, takes abortion medication because the phrasing of the law is anyone who administers med medication that causes an abortion. So if you give it to yourself, then you're guilty as well. And so as the top law enforcement official in my state, I have pledged not to enforce this law. I will not prosecute women. I will not prosecute their physicians. I will not prosecute their staff for something that I believe is a, a fundamental right. And it has been in this country now for nearly 50 years. And that puts the, the safety and, and the health and the well-being of the over 2.2 million women in my state that are of reproductive age at risk. I won't do it. I'm there to protect my state residents, not to jeopardize their lives, which is what I think these prosecutions would do. Furthermore, I said that I wouldn't defend this law in court. And even though I've been sued, I have not. And I've said this law is indefensible. And, you know, if someone else wants to intervene, if the Republicans in the legislature wish to intervene, then they can defend this law. I think this law is unconstitutional, so I believe it violates my oath of office to defend the Constitution if I'm defending a law which I think is flagrantly unconstitutional, which I believe these laws to be. Right. That leads to another question. So in your role, you can choose to prosecute or not. What does that mean for other laws, like not yeah. just with like reproductive rights, like if there's like any law that sort of gets signed by the governor going forward or has in the past few years, can you decide not to prosecute on it as well? Like how does that process sort of work? Yeah, well, we have something called prosecutorial discretion. 
And it means that, you know, you as uh, a law enforcement officer, you as a prosecutor, get to decide what laws you think deserve the most resources, right? Or, or laws that you think shouldn't be prosecuted at all. So for instance, adultery has been a crime on the books in our state for, I believe, you know, as long as the abortion law has been on for at least since 1931, and it's rarely enforced. I mean, it is a crime to commit adultery, but you just don't see it enforced very often, frankly, by anyone, Republican or Democrat alike haven't enforced this law. The same way that there are certain priorities that I have in office versus my predecessor, right? My predecessor used to prosecute marijuana cases all the time. And I have diverted money that was used to prosecute marijuana cases into prosecuting sexual assault cases. I only have so much money, right? Mm -hmm. So my priority is putting away and holding accountable people who commit sexual assault. And I think that that is more important than other ways that that money could be spent. I prosecute environmental crimes. I prosecute hate crimes. I have, I created a hate crimes and domestic terrorism unit and I prosecute hate crime violations and domestic terrorists. And my predecessors never did that. Even though these laws have been on the books for decades and decades, the, the attorneys general that were Republicans who preceded me never prosecuted those laws. So it's just a matter of what your priorities are and you know, my priority is to, you know, hold people accountable that commit crimes that are harming the public. My opponent believes that life begins at conception, and he believes that there should be no exceptions to abortion. And he's said very clearly he doesn't believe even to save the life of the mother. He thinks that the that, you know, life begins at conception and that zygote or or that embryo takes precedence over the life of, of the woman it's inside. Even in the case of an ectopic pregnancy or some other emergency, he said no exceptions. So if this law remains on the books and I am defeated by my Republican opponent, I think that you know there's an untold number of women in my state that will, will suffer greatly because they will not be able to get abortions even under the most dire sets of circumstances. Yeah, that well, is. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, first, thank you for bringing that picture, too, of just really your role and, like, how, you know, you can, as attorney general, choose to prosecute certain things. And I think that's just an important picture to paint for people to just realize how important your role is and that people really need to be paying attention and and very aware when they go to vote for attorney general specifically. But wanted to move forward and talk to you about, like, you've created a number of task forces. Can you kind of explain what those typically do, how they operate, and really why why you've made a bunch of these sure so i'll just give you an example one of the first ones that i created which is the elder abuse task force we had in our state some seventy-three thousand crimes of elder abuse and neglect and the exploitation economically of seniors in our state and i just felt like something drastic had to be done so I put together this task force and it involved members of our Supreme Court that have jurisdiction over all the probate courts and members of over 50 senior advocacy organizations to really understand you know, guardianship laws and conservatorship laws and things that were happening that contributed to all this abuse. And you know, we've done a number of things. We changed how these crimes are investigated by law enforcement. We encourage the legislature to pass 
laws. And we actually drafted these laws and then testified on behalf of these laws. And, you know, it's making a real impact. It, it makes a real difference when you have lots of different stakeholders involved, all of whom work in this particular field and all who are passionate about a subject matter. And so I've seen it as an avenue to make a real difference on a number of topics. That's amazing. And I think time and time again, we have found our conversations that having the data there as well can really make a difference in making your argument. So I'm sure these task forces are really a part of that. I did want to ask a question about one thing that you did say, which is the mention of a probate court. What is a probate court for someone that doesn't know? Sure. Probate court deals with, well, first of all, it deals with wills or trusts. When you have to litigate those, it deals with whether it's guardianship of a, of a juvenile who you know, maybe doesn't have parents and there has to be a determination made as to where that child will, who will have custody of that child, not, not in terms of a, a, a setting with a divorce or something like that, but uh, a setting where someone has to come in and ask to, to have guardianship over a child because they, they don't have parents or for a, uh, a senior or some other vulnerable adult who can't take care of themselves any longer and who perhaps, you know, from a physical perspective or from a psychological perspective is not in a place where they can take care of themselves and they need assistance. And the probate court judge will decide who becomes a guardian. And a guardian is a person who now has the right to make all financial and also medical decisions over that person. And that's where we get into sort of risky territory because, you know, theoretically, a person who becomes a ward and has a guardian has fewer rights than even prisoners do. And we, right. we learned a lot about it from the Britney Spears case, I was right? Just thinking that. She had yeah. no uh, authority over her own medical decisions or over any of the money that she made. Mm -hmm. and so it's really important that when a guardian is determined to be necessary that the courts get it right and that there's yeah. good supervision over what's happening because what a terrible thing to not have any control over anything that you do including your own body so it's important absolutely yeah, definitely i feel like that entire situation really made me so questioning of like the entire sort of like court system and what was going on there and the fact that there just felt like there was like no checks and balances to it is there anything for cases like that that can be put into place that prevent it or at least limit? That's exactly what we're trying to do in Michigan because right now there are too many flaws. And I do see cases of, I mean, you know, there's this, it's, it's a pretty extreme example, but there's this Netflix show called I Care A Lot. And okay. it, it kind of gets crazy as time goes on, but the original sort of plot line actually mirrors what I've seen with a lot of oh, people, I've which I was, is- I've seen, I haven't seen the show, but I know what you're talking about now. I was like, wait, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> yeah, well, you have some people who are sort of professional predators and identify seniors that might have some finances that they can exploit and sort of without them knowing sometimes even are able to file for guardianship over them. I mean, it, it's very extreme that show, but as we saw with um, Britney Spears, right? Someone who is going through a, a troubled time in their life as Britney Spears no, unquestionably was yeah. and, and really did need help and did need assistance. But, you know, did that have to go on forever for her entire life? And, you know, is this a person who was really helping her 
get through a difficult time or is it somebody who really just wanted to get their claws on her finances and be able to control everything she did and those are very different things and so it's important obviously there are a lot of people that ultimately end up needing guardianships or conservators Uh, conservators really just take control of the financial aspect of a person's life And there are certainly a lot of seniors who get to an age where it's hard for them to juggle their finances and make sure their bills are paid and all the rest. But it's important that we have the proper sort of oversight so that whoever's doing that is really working and operating in the best interest of that person and not for themselves. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. AKA becoming a victim of Jen Shaw's whole scheme, AKA your housewives. (laughs) That's immediately what came to mind. Wait, 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 Which, which housewives is that? Uh, Salt Lake City. Oh, you know what? I I have not seen the Salt I haven't Lake either. City series, but you know, now you're making me want to. <laughs> you might need to it's dive honestly, in. It's not my favorite, but they really teased all of the drama with that, and I had to dive in. I was like, "What's the legal case here? What's happening?" It's a rainy day one. You know, it's not a let me turn it on every week. I'm addicted to it, but definitely like the a rainy day binge. Attorney generals watch Bravo too. It just makes me feel so good. <laughs> well, if I, if I can, and I, I don't want to play devil's advocate here, but if we can talk about 90 Day Fiance from TLC, <laughs> I really, I have to say, like when, like, I don't, I don't think I've missed an episode in the last five years, which is a terrible thing to admit to you, but it's true. But it's like, you know, you get your happy space, like you're tired oh of battling to save democracy and totally. women's rights and you just need a, like some time off it's a, and you escape. need to feel good about your life by watching people who have the most messed up lives you can imagine <laughs> that it makes you feel relatively secure and like you're a good decision maker, mm-hmm. yeah, your shit you know, together. and things yeah. of that nature. So totally. again, I don't get paid as a sponsor for TLC. <laughs> I just really enjoy their horrible programming. Oh my God. I love horrible programming. Uh, we both do. Yeah. We love a good escape and reality TV is absolutely that. So, well, bringing it back to the, just your reelection, you are the incumbent you're running for re-election. Can you kind of give voters a kind of what they need to know, not only about this attorney general's race in your state in Michigan, but just in their own states as well and some things to look for as voters? Yeah, I, I cannot emphasize enough how important the role of attorney general is in terms of defending democracy. And if you have, again, if you have an attorney general whose only interest is in ensuring that a particular candidate wins, then that's not democracy, right? That doesn't mean that all eligible voters are gonna be able to vote. And it certainly doesn't mean that their vote is gonna count. And again, it's not about picking winners and losers. The voters get to do that. But you ought to have an attorney general that appreciates that it's the will of the voters that matters and who doesn't use their authority to usurp uh, whatever it is that the voters decided. And so when you talk about the future of the United States of America, it runs directly through the offices of state attorneys general and state secretaries of state. And unfortunately, not every state in the country is that really true. It's really the swing states that matter the most because of the electoral college. So if we're talking about Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan and Nevada and and Georgia and Arizona. These are the states that really are the most significant. You know, some states are gonna be blue no matter what, and everybody who's elected up and down the ticket just about is a Democrat. Some states are gonna be Republican no matter what, and everybody who's elected up and down the, the ticket is gonna be a Republican. But then you have the purple states, 
like Michigan. And that's where it matters the most. So what I would tell people to do is, first of all, definitely look at these races and don't just, you know, vote straight ticket and don't just, you know, think, well, these are, you know, down ballot races. They're probably not that important. Trust me, they are. And they're more important now than ever. There was a time when these were just ministerial functions and nobody really paid attention to them, but that's not the case in 2022. And if we as Democrats do not win these swing state AG offices, we won't have a democracy left anymore in 2024 because you will merely have henchmen who are doing the bidding of, of a particular person or a particular party and who put that person or party above their country. And again, you know, I, I'll be very candid. I don't like Donald Trump. I didn't vote for Donald Trump. And in fact, I ran for office so I could sue Donald Trump, which I did a lot and won. But in the event that he runs for president again in 2024, and if he legitimately wins our election as he did in 2016 in our state, he won Michigan by 10,000 votes. I would fight like hell to defend the will of those voters who voted for him. And I would make sure, I would do everything in my power to ensure that he received our 15 electoral votes. I would leave the country like the next day. But, <laughs> but I would do the proper thing, the appropriate thing, and the legal thing. And I would, I would uphold my oath of office and I would ensure that whoever wins, you know, they receive our electoral votes. But that is not what the people that he has supported, that Trump has supported, who are running for AG, will do. And they've already said it. They've said the quiet part out loud. Their job, right. they believe, is to ensure that Donald Trump wins back the White House. And because of that, that is not a democracy. And if we don't win these positions in 2022, then it really won't matter when it gets to 2024 and the presidential election arrives again. So it's more important now than it's ever been. 100%. Well, thank you for painting that picture as well. Again, it's just so important to hammer all of this home. And for people who are wanting to support your campaign, where can people find you? How can they support? Give us all of those details. Well, my website is dananessel.com. Easy enough. And, you know, I'm always looking for volunteers. I'm always looking for supporters. And even for people who, you know, don't live in uh, my state, even for people who uh, really don't have the money to spare to try to, you know, enhance a, the chances for a, a state race in, in another state where you don't live, even just retweeting or recirculating totally. on, uh, on social media, the things that I'm doing and the things that I stand for, that's helpful to say, totally. hey, everybody needs to get behind this particular candidate. This, this person is important for the preservation of our country. And that in and of itself, it's, it's, it's way more assistance than most people think because mm -hmm. it gets then if everybody in your friend, in your network, your friends, your family, you know, your community members see that, then people will work to get behind that candidate. And it's, it's critical that that yes. happen. I mean, I, yes, totally. I, I don't want to speculate on how old you guys are, but <laughs> just guess. I mean, I can, I 16, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just got a lot of Botox on Friday. Yeah, so I, mean, you I don't know, know I'm how to many everyone. ring lights you have on. You guys both are fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. So do you. All I know is whatever your guys' ages, 
I didn't have to worry about the things that you have to worry about. You know, I mean, for me, there has never been a better time in this country to be a postmenopausal lesbian. Uh, so I, I did not worry. Facts. There were things that I never had to worry about that you have to worry about. And of all the things that I thought about in my daily life, I never, I never thought once that in a handful of years, we could be living in a, an autocracy or a kleptocracy or some other right. form of government that is not a democracy. But we are faced with that very real possibility right now. And it's not too late. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's nothing we can do. We can work our asses off this year and we can save our country, but it's gonna take, frankly, unfortunately for me, less TLC and Bravo watching and, and more time. Just a little you know, bit. Yeah, I mean, you can still watch it. Like it's a balance. crazy and like never watch it. It's all about anything. balance, yeah. But exactly. And like some idea how times you have those kinds of days where like you just really need to watch yourself with yeah. a lot of like wine throwing mm, like, mm, mm -hmm. and, and you know what and both flavors i mean not just not just white wine <laughs> no. you need some like red wine you know, is when it gets real nasty yeah oh right. yeah you're staining my dress it's over <laughs> exactly so you know but you know it's just in terms of where everybody is focused it, it this has got to be it first and foremost mm -hmm. everybody has their challenges at their job and with their family members and why is my cat limping or acting weird today or so particularly smelly? Is there like, am I feeding my cat yeah. something that I shouldn't be? Whatever. We all have these things going on in our lives and, and more important challenges than that even. But I look at things like, you know what? I get it. I mean, gas is really high. There's no question about it. And inflation is bad. And there are a lot of global issues we have going on. But I promise you, gas prices, will go up and gas prices will go down. Inflation, you know, the cost of products will go up and then it'll come down. But once you lose your right to bodily autonomy, mm. once you lose your right to cast a ballot and to have your vote count, you're not, it's not coming back. Oh my gosh, I love that. It's just yeah. not. And so what, we're, what we need to be focused on is our, our fundamental rights and, and you know, these other things, I'm not saying that these are not important day-to-day -day life issues because of yeah. course they are. And I would never say otherwise, but I, I mean, at the end of the day, we'll never be able to have any of the things that we want in life and that we deem to be so important to us if we lose our right to vote. And totally. you know, that's on the horizon. We lose yeah. our right to vote, so it's like we lose our bodily autonomy, we lose our planet. Like, what's the point? Money ups and flows. Just little yeah, details. Your rights don't so but and even too with like inflation or everything else sort of in that category if you don't have the right to vote you can't vote for you know representatives that want to push maybe regulations that might actually impact that and help you know particular situations so it's all interconnected and mm -hmm. it's like if you don't go for the voting on democratic principles then everything else falls to the wayside anyways so it's not really you know it's not helping the problem Mm -hmm. unless you know, you're stepping up and all of that stuff but we do want to thank you so much for coming thank on the show so i learned so much so excited so much oh, well thank you for having me i i appreciate it yes well good luck with the campaign and we'll be watching you and supporting you so go get them <laughs> guys much appreciated all righty top stories of the week 
continuing our gun violence and policy conversation from previous weeks because things are happening. Not only is gun violence still happening <laughs> to an extreme degree, but there's some policy in the works in the Senate, actually, believe it or not. So Senate, Senate negotiators say they are making progress toward a deal to address gun violence, but they aren't there yet. Classic. But to kind of put some color and context to this conversation and continue updating on how gun violence is still ravaging through this country, there were over a dozen mass shootings just this weekend. So in Philadelphia, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Saginaw, Michigan, Omaha, Nebraska, and other towns and cities, there are at least a dozen shootings that killed or injured four or more people, according to data compiled by the Gun Violence Archive and analyzed by USA Today. At least 82 people were wounded or killed this weekend, which is absolutely insane and devastating. And this is actually the the next worst weekend for mass shooting deaths this year. May 13 to 15, where 14 people were killed in mass shootings, including the tenant in Buffalo, New York, the grocery store shooting. And then 14 people were also killed in mass shootings during the weekend of December 31st, 2021 to January 2nd. So literally we had one of our wor- the worst weekends of gun violence all after the horrendous shooting in Texas and Buffalo and Southern California. Like they're just, it's nonstop. But on that front of po- policy-wise and politics-wise, there, again, is some movement that we can run through. So Senator John Curran of Texas, the lead Republican negotiator on Monday, said negotiators are hovering above the target but have, haven't nailed down anything. Curran said negotiators need at least another week to resolve their differences and urged Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer, who has warned Charles. Give- Charles. Charles. Get it, Charles. Chucky Poo. Chuck <laughs> Chuck. Wood Chuck Wood. Never mind. Who has that? <laughs> Chuck has warned. Um, he will only give negotiators a short period of time to reach a deal, and he won't rush anything to the floor. Look, this the only positive I can think about delaying it a little bit is Chuck Chuck did just get a new grandchild, so maybe it gives him some time to hang out with the new grandchild. Family man. Yeah, because that's yeah. what we need. We need Chuck just gone with the baby when, you know, it's just... <laughs> It's just gun violence, but It's just nothing, yeah, nothing too crazy. But nonetheless, the House is set to vote this week on legislation to raise the legal age for buying some semi-automatic rifles to 21, create tax incentives for gun dealers to create safe storage equipment, and ban the sale of large-capacity magazines. But, 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 that legislation is doomed in the Senate, where it will not garner the 60 votes necessary to overcome a filibuster. If I have to deal with the filibuster <laughs> one more freaking time anyways we'll leave that rant for an upcoming episode that we have an interview so stay tuned for more filibuster slander because it's not even slander it's just like straight up honesty anyways senate negotiators say proposals will ban assault r- style rifles such as ar-15 style weapons that were used in recent mass shootings in buffalo new york and uvalde texas and to require background checks for all gun sales and transfers are off the table i samantha 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 get it together just so much of this is just so toothless. Like, if all those things are off the table to me, what yeah. is, like, okay, I'm not seeing within that red flag laws, which I do think are very important. And I know on the Senate side of things are still on the negotiating table. But, like, all of these things, 
the read what is on the table oh yeah what's on the table instead they are focused on more modest proposals to encourage states to set up red flag laws promote safe storage of firearms and provide more money to address mental health okay so that is to encourage to encourage that's like being like hey little like hey what's my example about to be like yeah um like you're encouraging texas to set up red flag laws they're gonna be like not gonna do that go fuck yourself like no they're not gonna do shit like this is such bullshit I totally. can't. I can't. Like background checks too. What's so annoying too is this whole like mental health angle that is very real. Like the mental health, like a mental health solution would be background checks. Totally. Like so what what is your mental health solutions? And, but like because like otherwise it just gets into a whole healthcare like conversation. Right. You know, it's like then wanna... is it free free therapy for everyone? Yeah. Is that what we're right. we're doing and we're putting is money it better? for? better more affordable and accessible health care because you're against that as well exactly so so please make it make sense you know even mm-hmm. think about i have like, an idea okay what's your idea my idea is for biden to sign fucking executive orders and just fucking do it because guess what we have a few more years until his term's up executive orders will be put in place say he does get booted and a republican president gets back in there we'll at least have like one to two years of some data of what that policy did. And if we have a major drop off in mass shootings and gun violence, like there's an answer. Let's just do it. But yeah, those are those are my thoughts. I'm just like, I don't trust the Senate to, even if they do get this bill through, that's gonna be like, you know, the Republicans excuse after that. It's like, look, we, you know, we yeah. pushed, we passed this. And then it's gonna be such a bullshit gun reform bill that doesn't even address background checks, which is like, should be the bare minimum. And, they're gonna have a scapegoat for this conversation it's like no we need like really dramatic gun reform and we need it immediately and i'm just saying like biden if you just pass an executive order and just fucking have some balls and do it and be aggressive you know we might have a a, like a few years of some data of what could actually be if we had gun control fair just saying fair just saying if anyone wants to um you know, send this clip, cut it up, send it over to the White House. Feel free. I won't stop you. And then a Democratic aide, however, said that Schumer does not plan to schedule a vote on gun control bill this week. And the Senate is already scheduled to consider nominees and legislation to help veterans exposed to toxic burn pits. So this is not on the docket this week, but it's in the works and in negotiations. So we'll keep everyone updated on that. But in the meantime... Text bold to 64433 to demand that senators take action on gun control, background checks, and more. And then you can also call, I did this yesterday, you can call 202-224-3121 and ask your senator to make sure that this gun reform bill happens. And while you're at it, demand more because this bill is not not cutting it so far. But again, better than nothing as of now, I guess. So call that number and it's super easy. Like you'll get connected to like an operator in the Senate somewhere who will connect you with your senator's office. And then you just say, hey, um, I'm a constituent and I am calling in my support for gun control, gun reform being considered and in negotiations right now and they'll say okay thank you so much and that's literally it, it takes 45 seconds so go to and do. and if you want specific templates or scripts to use 
We do have a few of them saved from fivecalls.org in our action items and or resources highlight on the Girl on the Gov Instagram. So the at Girl on the Gov one, that one has the action items resources. Those highlights have those scripts linked. So you can pull that up, boom, on your computer, dial up, read that right through. We have a confession and I forgot to doing the email part of this debacle or debacle, not even debacle, this, you know, strategy. And I have called Gillibrand Schumer and Schumer Gillibrand by accident. So, sorry guys. Oh, I thought you were going to say I copy and pasted the wrong have a confession to make. And I have been reaching out to senators who are not mine because that's my confession. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, I you're, bet your ass I'm calling Ted Cruz's office. Sorry. I don't know Obviously. if that's allowed. Who cares? Um, wait, um, I have one more thing. One more thing. Yeah. And that is that you can report the NRA which is tax exempt mm. BT dubs mm. you can file a complaint and I'm going to put the form to fill out and submit in our description of this episode so you guys can do it the same I also just to that point too like it just shows there are so many angles to tackle this on mm-hmm. like be it talking to your local reps your state reps your federal reps the IRS like it's a comprehensive issue that can be attacked comprehensively so the IRS and taxes and NRA and you know campaign finance reform that's all part of the solution as well but okay next story is primaries we have a huge primary election week happening again California I'm voting today but we had a break last week there were no primaries so there's a bunch this week and we'll kind of run through what you need to look for as far as results what's what are kind of the big races to keep an eye on so let's just kick it off let's let's go through it because seven states are holding primaries this week let's get into California heavily Democratic district in the state's Central Valley Farm Belt Republican U.S. Rep David Baladow is seeing blowback for his vote to impeach Trump over the January 6th insurrection and Republican Chris Matthews has made that vote a centerpiece in his campaign to oust him. So here is a race in California where Trump is is the kicker, is the the theme again. So it's happening everywhere. Trump is everywhere. And we'll see what happens in this one. Another kind of big Big one is the Los Angeles mayor's race. We have interviewed one of the candidates before, but it's a very crowded LA mayor's race, and it's shaping up to be a fight between Rick Caruso, who's a pro-business billionaire Republican turned Democrat, what a little <laughs> intro, who sits on the board of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation, and then U.S. It's also Democratic. anti-choice BT dubs. I, I would assume so. I don't know. Like, the pro-business billionaire Republican term Democrat. Like, you're a Republican. Let's be real. And Democratic U.S. Rep Karen Bass, who was on Biden's shortlist for VP, actually. So we'll see what happens there. Shout out, Karen Bass. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for you. San Francisco, you guys. So there is the district attorney of San Francisco is being recalled. His name is Chessa Budin. Budin, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and I don't give a shit because I have absolute beef with him. But he is a progressive Democrat, and critics have said that he has failed to prosecute repeat offenders amid widespread frustration with crime and homelessness. Due to legal implications, (laughs) I cannot spill the tea just yet, but I will. I absolutely will. But I am a witness on a case dealing with the district attorney's office. (laughs) And that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. I technically, no, like, I technically don't have to go in, so I'm no longer a witness, but if they subpoena me again, I'll become a witness again. So it's technically just, I am free. Oh, the tea just gets. <laughs> no, but the actual tea that, like, makes me, made, uh, made me vote against him, I'm not saying. 
I'm not saying it. That's not even the tea, Samantha. That's not. That's just like so people know that like I I have a legitimate story. Oh my god. Moving on. But moving on. I actually think legally I can say it because I'm no longer a witness. Like, my subpoena was dropped. Like I didn't have to come in. This it's like the, the hole that just keeps getting deeper. I lost my attorney friend, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm I'm no longer okay. a part of it. But all of that is California. That's happening. I will also say some tea that I did not vote for Nancy Pelosi. There it is. Oh. Yep. Wow, that is some tea. Well, I didn't like that she endorsed a anti-choice candidate in Texas. I, I don't like that her husband is just investing insider trading bullshit. And is a so, drunk driver. Not to mention she's 82. You just talked about it. I mean, she can take a breather. I mean, she's been a powerhouse. She's done a lot of great things, but she's also done a lot of shit that I don't agree with. And I'm ready for some fresh blood, and I'm ready for a new member of the squad to come on in and pass the Green New Deal. So there it is. There There it it is. is. There's the tea. Well, we should put a a little bit of spice on Iowa because we were talking about it a little bit before. But anyways, Republicans have gained an advantage in the state over the past decade. I personally have never thought as... I looked very sexual. You shouldn't do that again. (laughs) This is why we got picked for OnlyFans. (laughs) Yeah, we got pitched by OnlyFans, everyone, just by the way. I think Should that we do it? <laughs> literally, LOL. I am not opposed. <laughs> now he's like, let's take a call with them. And I was like, ma'am, sit down. You're like, I'll send some beat pics. So anyways, I've never like thought of like the state particularly as like, dem- like democratic or like, oh my God, the Dems have a vibe there. But we're going to have to look into it because from this article standpoint, they definitely paint it that way. Maybe Republicans have really like gained an advantage in this Democratic Senate primary provides sort of like a snapshot of like the minority party's battle for relevance. And I think that's kind of like an interesting point of view of like if a party feels like they're so not relevant somewhere, like do they even run candidates? Like we definitely see that in a lot of places, especially in local elections where like a opposing party won't even run a candidate. So regardless, that's a deep dive, I suppose, for another time. This particular primary on the Dem side, we have retired Navy Vice Admiral Michael Franken, who's waging competitive contest with former U.S. Rep. Abby Finkenauer. Is it? How do we say that? Finkenauer? Finkenauer. I was like, I've heard it said a million times that I just could not. Okay. Anyways, in a bid to take on, like we said before, 88-year-old Grassley, who's been endorsed by Trump. Position Glenn Hurst. I just can't believe he's running again. I know. Like he wants six more years in the Senate. I don't. He wants get to it. be ninety four. You know Wait, you know what we also need to Google at the end. What Chuck Grassley's net worth? Mm. Apparently, it's a popular question. Sorry. He has yep. a net worth of over seven million dollars in twenty eighteen, mm. according to Open Secrets. Honestly, I just he can't like the fact that he's when I saw him in this. Who is advising him to run again? I just but Mississippi. Anyways, okay. Republican U.S. Rep. Stephen Palazzo is facing his largest ever field of challengers after a congressional ethics watchdog. Oh my God! Side note: You know what we should do as a sound effect? Anytime what? we say watchdog, we should have a bark. 
Okay, I'll work on it. Thank you. <laughs> I might be too lazy today, but maybe next time. Okay, fine. <laughs> Add it to Idea Factory. <laughs> yeah. Bipartisan Bell, Watchdog Wolf. Wait, stop. I haven't re- run the Bipartisan that. Bell in a minute. Yeah, it's been a hard but, one. Sorry. But we might we We've might a lot be... of tangents. We need to keep going. Yeah, okay. Fine, 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 fine. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, the Watchdog Wolf raised questions about his... <laughs> Stop. I really cracked myself up. <laughs> Get together, Samantha. Okay, about his campaign spending. A 2021 report by the Office of Congressional Ethics found substantial reason to believe. Palazzo, a military veteran who serves on the Appropriations and Homeland Securities Committee. <laughs> Samantha. Security it's giving, it's giving Broadway. <laughs> it's literally giving Broadway. You're really giving Broadway right now. I'm just feeling so inspired. If any recruiters are watching, these are my jazz hands. Oh my god, Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you need to be on timeout. We're benching Samantha. I'm gonna I'm gonna take over. <laughs> Samantha has been benched. Do we where are we on this story? We're in the middle of him and his abusive office. I'm crying. (laughs) Okay, so you guys, let me take over really fast. Palazzo is a military veteran who serves on the Appropriations and Homeland Security Committees. He abuses office by misspending campaign funds, doing favors for his brother, and enlisting staff for political and personal errands. (laughs) And then his then spokesperson, Colleen Kennedy. That's so funny. I know a guy from high school named Colin Colin Kennedy. Anyways, Colleen Kennedy said the probe was based on politically motivated false allegations. So some tea coming out of Mississippi. Sweet tea. I just really, when it comes to Mississippi, I'm hoping that people rally and get some state reps in there that are pro-choice. But I'm not going to put too many eggs in that basket, but I'm going to hope and I'm going to manifest it. Mm -hmm. So Montana. We're going to Yellowstone, and we are talking about the Montana election. So it's the first time since 1993 that the state will have two House seats after one was added to account for Montana's growing population. Wild. All because of the Yellowstone TV show, obviously. Zinke, Zink, whoever, <laughs> Trump's former Interior <laughs> Department Secretary, technically is in an open race for the new seat. But the former na- former Navy SEAL is widely considered the de facto incumbent since he won twice or since he twice won elections for the state's other House seat before stepping down in 2017 to join the Trump administration. So his opponents are drawing attention to his troubled tenure at the agency, which was marked by multiple ethics investigations, more ethics investigations, more watchdogs, but don't get Samantha going on that. (laughs) His opponents in the GOP primary include former state Senator Al Doc, not saying his last name, Ols. Olszewski. Oh my god! I dated a guy with the last that with that last name. The same. I'm somewhere in the Midwest, but oh my god, maybe they're related. He was well, something. I mean, that was that's not too far dump. off. Three date and dump. Three date and dump. How do you even make it to three dates and then dump a, like dump the guy? If I make it past the first date, like you're sitting pretty in my book. I can talk to a wall. Yeah, I know. Okay, <laughs> next. No, but actually about this Saul Zuski guy. He's an orthopedic surgeon and a hardline conservative who has tried to paint Zink as a liberal insider. And three Democrats are vying for their party's nomination, public health advocate Cora Newman, Olympic rower and attorney Monica Trannel. 
and former state rep Tom Winter in the state's other district first term rep Matt Rosendale, who's Trump's who has Trump's endorsement, will look to fend off three Republican primary challengers. So lots happening in Montana. Do you want to do New Jersey since it's your your home, basically? My old home state. I wish I had Janique here to do this with me because she's my fellow Jersey girl. But I know. Shout out, Janique. Regardless, in her honor, oh my gosh, I just scrolled right past our New Jersey deeds. Okay, so primary day in New Jersey. So in northern New Jersey, former state Senate minority leader Tom Keene Jr. has a fundraising edge and establishment support over five rivals. Keene, the son of former Republican Governor Tom Keene Sr., is hoping for a rematch with Democratic Rep Tom Malinowski, who won a close contest two years ago. So the Keene name is like over like literally on so many buildings in New Jersey. It's bloody wild. Anyways, on the Democratic side, U.S. Senator Bob Menendez's son, Rob, is running for a seat being vacated by retiring Democratic Rep Albio Sires. Oh, wait. Sires. Sires. Okay, sorry. Anyways, Menendez, a Port Authority of New York and New Jersey commissioner, locked up party support upon entering the race. So we'll see what happens there. But... But, but I think that's interesting because we've got like kind of another, a little political family emerging right there. You mm. know, I, I didn't mm. realize the connection there yeah. between the senator and the commissioner. And, but now that I know, now that I know. Political dynasty. Interesting. Always problematic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Was- New Mexico. Quick run through. Five Republican candidates are competing to take on Democratic Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. The incumbent is favored to keep her job in a state where Democrats control every statewide office and dominate the legislature. We love to see it. Uh, we love to see it. Former TV meteorologist Mark Ronchetti and state rep Re- Re- Rebecca Dow are prominent GOP contenders in a contest touching on concerns about U.S. border security, urban crime, inflation, and the teaching of race and ethnicity in a heavily Latino and Native American state. So that's the New Mexico run-through. Bring us home with some South Dakota election tea. I will. However, side note, if we have any New Mexico listeners, I really want to do a trip, so hit me up with your recs. Okay, South Dakota. South Dakota. Another state I have not visited yet on the list. Trio of Republican incumbents face primary challengers running on their political right. So, interesting. Governor Chrissy Noem, who is considered a potential White House prospect, dear God, help us all, is favored to win the GOP nomination for governor, obviously. One rival state legislator, Steve Hoggard, has argued that Noem spent more time trying to build the national political profile than focusing on her job at home. U.S. Senator John Thune faced Trump's ire after tail wag. lady. It's late. Lady's here. Lady. Oh, hi, sweetie. Oh, she's lying. I think she's ready to go outside, so we need to... Okay. okay. Chop, chop. Sorry. U.S. Senator John Thune faced Trump's ire after dismissing the former president's election fraud claims. However, no well-known challenger has emerged in Thune's re-election bid. One of his opponents, Mark Mowry, was among the crowd that has demonstrated demonstrated near the Capitol on January 6th. In the House, Republican state lawmaker Taffy Howard... Taffy. Taffy, I can't with that. It's trying to what a uns- name. Like it just reminds me of like a candy store in the nineteen fifties. You know what I mean? No, the taffy taffy. Like saltwater taffy. Taffy? Am I okay? Am I just having another str- I'm I'm okay. Finish it, finish, finish it. it. It's trying to anyways, Taffy. Taffy Howard is trying to unseat GOP rep Dusty. Taffy versus Dusty. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. 
there's a lot yeah there's a lot to work that with. one that one you can't just run past that no it's incredible we can't incredible yeah anyways dusty johnson in the that. state's lone district johnson touts his conservative voting record while keeping ability to work along or across party lines but howard has tried to paint him as a foot soldier for house speaker nancy pelosi why do i just feel like that's an act that's interesting for interesting. sure well big primary election day sam you know can't wait to watch steve kornacki on msnbc tonight there will be khakis and i'm sure you know Ow. for days to come we'll see like what you know how long these results come in hopefully a little speedier than previous weeks AKA Pennsylvania, but, we're looking at um you. yeah but also hopefully we have good turnout california's mail-in ballot returns are looking absolute trash so hopefully people get them in today but that's that on that those are our stories that is our episode and go subscribe on youtube even if you don't plan to listen to our episodes on youtube it would be very helpful for you to just go subscribe subscribe on spotify apple podcasts rate review follow us on social media we are at girl in the gov and at girl in the gov the podcast on instagram at girl in the gov on tiktok we are continuing the political learning on those platforms giving action items resources and more also dm us with any political questions and especially in election season dm us with all of your voting questions so that you are ready to go vote and also go check out girl slash vote to register to vote check your registration uh, request an absentee ballot and pledge to vote. Tell all your friends to pledge to vote as well. So yeah, I think those are the housekeeping items for for the day. Check out our brand ambassador program while you're on our website. And I, I don't know. I think we, we log off. We, we might have to do it just because otherwise we won't stop okay. talking. Yeah. So have an amazing rest of your week. And we'll be talking to you all next Wednesday. Toodles. Bye. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.